Argyll of Nanagus. Part two. I suppose what we've been talking about so far is, well, what we've been doing is to sort of analyse the mechanics of the story, I yeah. suppose. And duplication and contrast is just what make it a great tale. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly a big part of it. But particularly when we start to look at things such as the mirroring in the ancestry, it's not just part of the structure or the form of the tale, it's also part of its actual content. It's part of what the story is about. You know, there there are themes which also right. bring mirroring and duplication. Okay, in. so now we're going to go theme hunting. Yes. Yeah, now this is a really good overgrown part. <laughs> it's a bit like looking for the hind in the thicket. Yeah. Um, you know, so what do we do? Take a machete? Do <laughs> <laughs> the story? <laughs> Might be a little All bit right, excessive. let's go hunting. Look, All there, right. behind that bush. I heard movements. Aha, it's two birds of opposing people. Yes. Aim. Of course. Uh, the... Look, there's another theme up that tree. Um, <laughs> oh, there's two battles. That's yeah. another theme. <laughs> Any more themes going a little down the path? <sighs> Sneak, sneak, sneak. Ah, there, 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 there. I saw it move. Two masters. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you know, two of them almost duplicating yep. again. Or, yep. whoops, there's zipping over our head. Quick, two satires. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there, there are these constant themes yeah. that go on. And they're, they're there all the time. And they're mm. all in twos. Mm. Um, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's easy to play with those. I yeah. mean, storytellers do this all the time. Whoops, exactly. there goes another one. Yeah, it's oh, like... two, two, splat, splat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> image of being surrounded by duplicated pairs of themes yes. coming at me from all angles. Yes, yes. But uh, I mean, some of them we've already discussed, haven't we? Like yeah. the, the birth of two hero babies. Yeah. I suppose there's not much we can say other than I don't know. If you're looking at that theme, I mean, you know, Eru Bresh, Eru Ethlulu, Brig Ruthorn. Yeah, you know, the mother-son relationship. For yeah. instance. can we say any more about the mother-son relationships? Um, I think we Whee! can. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that we can. I think it's something that, that watch maybe... out, there comes another one. <laughs> that maybe gets a bit of right. mother-son relationships. Yeah, that, that gets a bit of overshadowed by the story, like the the ideas of maternal kin or paternal kin. But there are actual relationships that you would find in any good story. Um, so you've got like Eru and Bresh. You know, Eru does go with Bresh in order to find. Yeah, she seems to keep an eye on him, doesn't she? Yeah. He sort of stays in her field, shall yeah. we say. But then, you yeah. know, and, and she does give him land, I think, as well. Oh, yeah, and with. helps him get Sadagda to build him a fort. Yeah. Get, yeah. Build him a, a stronghold. Yeah, and, and when he comes asking about who his daddy is, then she, she tells him. She does, and she brings him along to go and find them. And she so she has a story to tell him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and the, and the ring and all that stuff to show him, all, all that sort of fairy tale hero um, motifs. But, you know, so she does seem to be supportive of Yeah, him. and I mean, I suppose we can say that Briggs supports Ruthorn, Yeah, it's a bit of a tragedy in it that is, case. It is, yeah. Because she supports him and receives him when yeah. he comes and he says, more or less, I don't know whether he tells her, look, Mum, I'm a spy. Yeah, yeah. Is okay? But he, goes, he, yes, dear. But he's certainly using that... that relationship with his mother in order to facilitate make a uh, good the conversation, spine. wouldn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's lovely 
to see you, dear. How are you? You've been with your father's people again. Yeah, they're not too popular at the Mum, look, look, I hope you don't mind, but I'm here actually to spy. Mm. Oh, don't worry, dear, I'll make it. I'll make sure you're not, you know. Mm. But if she does that, if she supports him, yeah. in fact, she sends him to his death. Exactly, yeah. Which and, I suppose and makes it a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, definitely that, that the image of the, the lamenting mother over her son, you it's, know. It's an important motive. It is important, and, and like I say, I feel like it gets a little bit overlooked, perhaps. Well, it's particularly thrown into high relief by the fact that he is killed just after. He's yeah. almost like the first warrior to be killed yeah. after the, the, the well is destroyed. Exactly. And the irony of that yeah. he has been the one yeah. to tell his father's people yeah. what happened. And then he is the one who could have been brought back by yeah. it. And she can't bring him back by yeah. what she supported him to do. Yeah. So it's a lovely piece of tragedy. It is. It is. Um, and then you've got the the pretty much non-existent relationship between Lou and his mother. Athlon. Yeah, poor um, Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have a, an awful lot of choice in, in these matters, you know, but basically she births him and then that's the last she sees of him. Yeah. Um, it, in any of the kind of story sources that we have, there isn't really anything more than that. So does he acknowledge his mother? He's always he's always known as... I oh, mean, he always introduces himself as Lug Mark Ethlin. And yet it's Teltu, his foster mother, yeah. he sets up the games for. Yeah, but I mean, you do have yeah. that, that thing in early Irish society where you're closer, emotionally closer, yeah, you can't to your foster parents. draw much yeah. from that. To be but, honest. you know, but Lou, we never really see him with Ethlin, you no. know, after he's born and well, then taken away. If you look at his... The Welsh... Welsh flow, yeah. Yeah, well, if you look at his relationship with his mother, mm. she is actively hostile. Yeah, yeah. Because she feels she's been tricked into birthing him. Well, yeah, she has. Yes. <laughs> and she then refuses to give him mm. name, arms, or a wife. Yeah. So the, her role, the mm. relationship between the, the child and his mother, the mm. young man and his mother, is central to the Welsh tale. It is. and It's, it's the main part of it. It is. And, and it's sort of her refusal to acknowledge him uh, that, that drives that story because then of course Clo has to trick a name out of his mother. So we've got some interesting themes when we come to um, themes of mother-sons. Yeah, yeah. Um, what well, we might as well discuss father-son relationships if we've got any. There's yeah, Angus and the Dagda. Oh, well, Angus and the Dagda. They're, they're, this is a famous one, isn't it? It is. And uh, as we sort of found when we were looking at the, the later stories of the Gabon Sayre and the, the Wondersmith and his son, um, they do feel like the Dagda, don't they? Well, they talk about the relationships between Dagda and Oingus all yeah. the time. Um, within our text, we have uh, this part at the beginning when the Dagda is sort of under the cosh of the Fubra and not getting up to eat and so on. It's Oingus who gives him the means for escaping that. So it, he's advising his father on and, the right thing to do. And the, the, the thing that will eventually bring back the prosperity of exactly, land. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Prosperity of the land, the, yeah. the, the, how to get the cow back. Yeah, so that's that's where the, the son, and it's the only appearance of Oingus in our tale, who is, you know, mm. a very popular figure and, and, and shows up all over the place. He even shows up in the, the, the pursuit of Dermot and Grania as... as oh, Angus is always popping up. Yeah, yeah. So it's surprising that he doesn't pop up more, in a way, in our tale. So, yeah, there you've got the sort of the, the, the tricky young son, um, and he really is the young son, um, who's sort of giving his father a, a means of get out. But then you, if you contrast that with Bresch and Elisa, when Bresch goes to find his father, all he gets is kind of disappointment criticism. and criticism. Oh, yeah. we're so disappointed in you. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. Oh. You're not what we thought you'd yeah. be. <laughs> 
you've really let us down. Yeah, yeah. And you can see why, you know, mm. if you couldn't have kept your kingship. Yeah. Yeah, by then, good judgments. Then you can't take it by force. Can't take it by force. Yeah, yeah, in many ways, I mean, Elitha is right in what he says. Um, and but there, the, the father is advising the son, which is more normal. It Whereas, is. of course, with Angus, yes. he's the uh, son advising his father. Exactly, as he does yeah. All the time. Yeah, yeah. So you do have that contrast. And even though, you know, the Dagda can only do what is right, he can also bend the law as as Oingas can as well that business of you know you can commit murder without actually committing murder because you just happen to put gold into the food and it's his fault if he eats it oh that's typical of the stories isn't it that's yeah like and again later the goblins there yeah but very different to Elitha who says to you know his his own son who he like we reckon deliberately went and created in order to be a bad king gave him a rather provocative name yeah yeah gave you know I call my some chaos basically the brash child. yeah yeah so brash the breast i mean breast the brash well both um <laughs> but so you know and then when brash goes looking for his support he doesn't get any now lou yeah um i was thinking when brash goes to his father mm. he gets tested doesn't he he, he does yeah and, and now, he sort of fail he, he, he sort of succeeds in the physical test but mm. fails the moral test yeah yeah very much i mean it's it's a bit that again we didn't really go into in detail in, in discussing the text because there was just too much text to discuss but it, it does come immediately after lou has come to tara we get bresh going to his father's people um, and when he gets to the Fuvara camp, they're racing dogs and horses, and so he races dogs and horses, and is you know they're found to be good enough. And then he's also tested at sword play, which is the moment when Elitha sees the ring and recognizes his yeah, son, yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, but it is very much you know he's gone to the encampment of his father's people and has been tested and accepted into their their fold. But like you say, he fails the moral test mm -hmm. of having been a, a bad king and a bad judge. Yeah, Lou doesn't get landed with that, does he? No. So we've just had Lou coming to Tara and he gets this verbal testing about his skills, but then he also gets tested at Fichel and and with the the whole. Um... He gets a sort of physical testing, exactly, and so forth. It's, yeah, it's a little different, but it's yeah, it's in essence. It's the same thing. It is. It is. Except and once again, the the Fovera seem to be far more straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And and obvious. Al it. Almost law, more law abiding. <laughs> yeah. No flinging of flagstones. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, Can you wield a sword, lad? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I don't know. I mean, wee. There goes that one. Yeah. I mean, uh, that one's gone. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I've got I've got them over my head visualizing, and then I've got others going down holes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that one's gone to ground. <laughs> Let's look at the next one. So we've had father, father and mother son relationships. Yeah. So what well, should we have done this one way round? I mean, meetings and matings. I suppose we should have looked at that first. Oh yeah. Well, that it, generally comes before the, the parent <laughs> so and child relationship. But, uh, there you go. but yeah. So we've already talked about Eru and Elitha and yeah. all that crowd. They've all gone to ground. We can't get them out. All gone into a bush. I yeah. Know, somewhere. <laughs> Uh, you've got Dagda and Morrigan, yes. and Indaic's daughter. Yes, so, so the, the Dagda has his own pair of encounters, which again, follow one after the other in the text. And um, we've said before, I think when we were discussing the Morrigan in series one, uh, looking at her as a character on her own, uh, we pointed out that the exchange between the Dagda and Indaic's daughter, when they meet 
on the road. They're mm. kind of they're playful, wonderful kind of oh, play fight. And, yeah, um, but also you know that that exchange of words where I'll be a stone in every ford that you cross. Well, I'll dig my heel into the stone, and you'll be able I'll to see be it's an mark. axe in every tree. Yeah, yeah, that that parallels uh, almost precisely in some respects uh, an exchange between the Morrigan and Cuchulain in, in the town. Yeah, but one's so much more, I mean the one uh, the, the Morrigan and Dex daughter mm. it's so much more friendly, Oh playful. it is, yeah. The one between Cuchulain and the Morrigan is yeah. nasty. It is, it is, it's unpleasant. He's being deliberately unpleasant yeah. and dismissive of her. Exactly. The other it's like the two magicians. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's just that, that friendly kind of testing of skill and wit that, that eventually leads to to an alliance and, and the love making between Dagda and the daughter. The text of the two magicians, I can't remember now. I think we may not have done. I don't think we so. were going to. But possibly. We shall have to look back and see, or maybe our listeners can think off the top of their heads because we've got so much up there now, I can't even think what we've put up. Yeah. But all that is to say that it, the encounter between the Dagda and Indeg's daughter you know, without very much remodelling could be an encounter between the Dagda and the Morrigan. And what we get immediately afterwards is the Dagda with the woman, which it has to be explained in a gloss at the end of the passage. The woman mentioned here is the Morrigan. And she is also the Dagda's woman. Exactly. Always, always. And you find it in, in other tales and in poetry. Whenever you hear Ben and Dagda, uh, it's talking about the Morrigan. So when at the beginning, um, of when they meet at the River Unship, yes. before the battles begin, mm. this is almost like the cue that now it's inevitable. Yes, yeah. And the two of them meet and mate over the River Unship. Yeah, yeah. And that's lovely. They talk about when shall we three meet again? Yeah. When shall we two meet? Together. Absolutely. And that feeling that this is what you do before the battle, yeah. the two of them. It's come. nature and culture is what we have it is, isn't as a it? theme. And and this this is you know really gives us another kind of uh, mirroring insight because uh, if you compare that meeting between Dagda and Morrigan uh, with Eru and Elitha, with Eru and Elitha you have Eru which is the land and you have Elitha who is science or knowledge. Um, so that in its way is that's a nature, nature culture. culture yeah meeting but obviously the outcome is pretty dreadful with the Dagda the Dagda is so connected with the shape of the land, the and, of the land. and the so turning of the season again he's so always connected he's very much about nature and the Morrigan as poet is about stands for culture so once again it's these meetings of nature and culture yeah. which are the thing that create mm. the both the breakdown and recreation of, yeah. the, of, of human human order and natural order. Yes, yeah, exactly. But the thing that, that yeah. might be surprising to, to some people is that usually in kind of cultural theory and analysis, and, and particularly in analysis of mythology and folktale, the supposition that we have in the West, certainly, is that, you know, the feminine is the natural or the land, you know, the passive and all the rest of it, and that the masculine is the active and the cultural and the creative and so on. But in our story, um, the, the pairing that is the most positively productive is where the masculine stands for nature and the feminine stands mm -hmm, for culture mm -hmm. that's is to do with the restoration yeah it? exactly so that that's, that's the, what keeps it safe yeah that's the positive force in our story so i quite like that it's not the usual kind of oh you know oh the motherland who is just 
lying there waiting to be ploughed, which Eru yeah. kind of is, really. But here you have the Dagda representing the shaping and making, yeah. the unshaping, the power of nature, yeah. the absolute unconquerable power of nature. Yeah. And the, the, the mm. culture yeah. works with this, yeah. keeping it yeah. balanced. She, she watches it, she records it, she encodes it, she passes it on. You know, uh, That's so a nice thought. Yeah. I, I, like I really that. like it. That's a good theme. <laughs> That's a nice thing. That one will take yeah. a photograph of it before it disappears. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. That's that's. I think that theme I could really work with as a storyteller. Yeah. I would go aha. Yeah. That's one of the main themes of this story. Exactly. Yeah. Nature yeah. and culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, if you think about it, the the, the reflection of the Dodonan and the Dovnan, we got came back that. that you know, that right we started off yeah. with that, didn't we? Yeah. That the Donan come from over the sea and mm. the Dodovnan are people rooted in this world. Yes, when you have the people of craft and the people of earth. So or... you've got a sort of reversion and inversion. Mm. You know yeah. what you expect. Yes, yeah. It, exactly. It begins with the Dodanan as the, the kind of the outsiders, the the sort of more I hesitate to use the word ethereal, maybe more cerebral. Um, Cerebral, I think, is a good word yeah. because it's about their learning of new skills. Exactly, they're, their they're knowledge. Emerging, they're emerging from the land to mm. become a people who are, in essence, separate from the land. Exactly. Whereas the Dodovnan yes. and the Fairbolic are still very of, much yeah. of the land. The you know, it's, again, it's culture coming from yeah. nature. Yeah, yeah. I think you. Well, again, I think we've got our main theme: mm. is nature and culture. Yeah. That as the Dodovnan emerge from mm. nature. Mm. As separate, there, there is a great danger yes. in doing this. Yeah. But there is also a great um, uh, wisdom and discovery and joy. Yeah, yeah. They, there's the, the culture is what makes them separate, but yes. also what makes them special, yeah. unique. Yeah. But, but there is a danger to this. But there's always a threat. There's yeah. always the threat. It's it's the threat of the garden. You know, I mean, I always think that the garden is, is almost a, a emblematic of any sort of artwork or, or, or cultural work because it's the negotiated space between nature and culture and of course you can only have a garden if you use yeah, natural cycles but you still have to keep it out you still have to yeah. weed and, and it's interesting keep it the christian cut. eschatological mm. they cannot develop as a people until they leave, leave the, the garden. garden yeah you must partake of the tree of knowledge yeah before you can emerge as a people yeah but yeah. then they're thrown out of the garden they yeah. can't return to that state yes whereas this people they, you know he, what mm. they have here is yes you return but you've got to constantly balance and work with it yeah in and out about just like walking you yeah. can't walk until you take a controlled stumble yes yeah uh you you know until you lose your balance you, and re-establish yeah. your balance no, otherwise really, you can't move really like that yeah. you can't move forward because yeah. if it, you're completely balanced all the time then you're you're, you're dead <laughs> <laughs> you're certainly <laughs> okay, you certainly can't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. But didn't you also tell me that the Dovnan carries a sense of depth as well? Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we kind of started by looking at that Dodonan, the Dovnan, we had the, the Dovnan, this sense of earth, and we talked about the Firbolg and their sort of connection with soil and earth and so on. But it does also have that sense of depth, which is Devon in, in, in modern so Ireland. So like the deep of the earth. Yeah. But also the deep of the sea. Exactly. The deeps, generally. Yeah, it kind of it, it kind of shifts almost, you know, from from the depths of being, you know, rooted in, in the land, in the rooted land, in the sea, to being, yeah, something that's deep under the water, so which this, is a bit more scary. So this <laughs> is how they become the people under the sea or the people under wave. Well, yeah, I mean, I think they they always had that element. I mean, you know, the the well, Fofwara, tempera, yeah. yeah. Well, also the name Fofwara is under the sea, you know. Yeah. So it's it's 
both and neither and also each you know yeah. so the the fovera are the people of the sea yeah but their leader is of As, the dodovnan yeah. who is of the land yeah but it's the depths of the land yeah so they're they're catonic in yeah. that sense they're yeah. underground or exactly under sea. they're yeah. from beneath exactly from below, from below absolutely yeah. yeah from deep yeah um, and certainly by the time you get to the stories of the Goblin Seer, it's the land under wave, which I think yeah. is a wonderful title. It is a great, it's such, it's such a good so phrase. Terry Pratchett had to steal it. Yeah, um, <laughs> isn't it? It's just the land under wave. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of the later folk stories that talk about, you know, King under wave and, you know, all that thing. It It, it is a theme that persists throughout Irish culture. Well, it's not surprising when you're an island people. Well, yeah. Because of <laughs> what is in the sea is unseen and unknowable exactly that you may find islands in the sea but, yeah but one the sea is both dangerous unpredictable yeah unknowable mm. and you can't see into it yeah what might be below the surface is always going to be strange and wondrous mm. but you're also as an island people you're uh dependent upon the sea you know i mean we wouldn't have had such a, a, a blossoming culture in Ireland if it hadn't been for the sea if it hadn't been for trading over the sea fishing the sea yes, say, you know, the resources of exactly the sea. exactly so the sea is bountiful but you're at its mercy it's yeah. it's definitely uncontrollable which brings us back to that kind of idea of nature and culture you yeah, know the culture again, is is very it's very tenuous and this double-sided you know the, the nature of yeah. the Favre. yeah I mean they do change in time from a beautiful noble people yeah to an ugly monster of course yeah. ugly monsters yeah now, as a storyteller again i see this as a natural development yeah yeah you know they become the enemy of course in this story there they are they are the enemy yeah so if they're the enemy they must be evil nasty horrible and deformed of course the enemy are yeah i mean that's what always happens to the defeated yeah well i mean they get his, history is written by the winners as we know but yeah. so are stories so <laughs> but and that's natural. I mean, mm. when I want to tell stories to children yeah. about the Favre, it's so much easier to make nasty, horrible monsters. And, uh, you know, you can have a very simplified version. Mm. Mm. And this is what happens to stories yeah. because that's how people want it. Yes. Yeah. But in this text... No, in this text, they're, they're generally beautiful, for one thing. Bresh is said to be beautiful. Ethlu is... Elitha. Elitha, yeah. I mean, really shiningly, stunningly beautiful. And, you know just as well as we were saying with Alatha's you know advice to his son you know that said to say that he couldn't actually help him because he had been unjust um even Balor who becomes such a kind of a, a towering monster in the in the folk versions mm -hmm. even so his his poisonous eye is is accidental there's that story where you know he he peeked in while his father's magicians were were brewing up something a bit nasty and so the nastiness of the brew the fumes got into his eye exactly yeah yeah so you know uh, that's that's what and he's not blemishes him. described as a giant no he's the battle captain exactly yeah yeah um but he becomes later on a huge one-eyed giant yeah. A sort of cyclops. Yeah, yeah. Um, and after all, one-eyed, one-legged, deformed giants are not much more fun. Yeah. <laughs> and also, stories now, we're much more used to pitting good against evil. We are, yeah. I mean, when we were talking about the development of the story, mm. I mean, obviously, the Christian eschatological story, yes. eschatological story, I'll get yeah. that word right in the end, <laughs> leads towards a beginning yeah. where good is pitted against evil mm. and hopefully at the end, good wins yes this is your you know and your yeah. hero is on the side of light exactly yeah so that's, they tell me yes <laughs> that, that's that's our, our western paradigm very much these days especially you can't escape zathros can you <laughs> on the nice side of light so they tell me you gotta get that one or you don't 
Uh, I mean, really, the anti-hero is a very recent development anyway. Oh, it is. I mean, it's it's only maybe post-war. I mean, I was trying to think of, you know, who would be the first real, you know, celebrated <laughs> anti-heroes. And it's it's between, I'd say... It's between the First, first and Second World War. Yeah, really. but I think in, in, in terms of literature, it's either Holden Caulfield or else it's... Um, um, come on, brain. It's hard to tell, really. Uh, Caps twenty two. Oh yes, yes, uh, yes. Oh no! <laughs> I had it all right. lined up. Dot dot dot. Fill in blank. Yeah, uh, I know. And I was also thinking of the whole noir. Oh know, yeah, begins, the, yeah. This sort of, uh, uh, and of course John Osborne. Yeah, and, yeah. The, so the 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 troubled, ambiguous, you know, antiheroes who who aren't just these, you know, all all shining, you know. Kill all yeah, the baddies, we, goodies. I mean, yeah. we're not supposed to go into an analysis of modern literature. No, here, but but we'll I hear all day. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's it's still it's worth remembering these things. You know that that up until incredibly recently, um, our you know heroes have been on the side of light. They fight darkness. It's quite easy. I mean, even within Lord of the Rings, you know the the orcs are just twisted you know they just need to be put down it's not their fault but no but but still there isn't really much in turn in they have the been sense of deliberately it. created that yeah, way exactly. they can't help it but they're still evil yeah and so that means you can unambiguously just slaughter them you know that's that's easy you've got a whole group of people yeah. who are just you can just get rid of them yeah they're you know? just uh, they're just bad that's all yeah yeah i know it that's a weakness in what is yeah. otherwise Mm. A, a brilliant <laughs> story, obviously. Yeah, but, but this text it's within exactly, exactly. That's that's been our Western paradigm, and so again, a lot of the discussion of Maitura, particularly in you know the early days of uh, structural anthropology, and um, you know the the wonderful Reeses who wrote Celtic Heritage, they were looking at that kind of you know the structural comparison between Maitura and like the the um, Indian stories the Vedic stories and in the Vedic stories you have you know the devas and you have the yeah, uh, the yeah. demons and so on so it's it's too easy I think to see Moitura as another you know yeah, yeah, gods versus text, devils it, it's not like that it's this not. text has ambivalent heroes absolutely I think we've made that it's abundantly clear yeah. that it's two peoples with good people on both sides yeah, yeah. and yet the battle is never suggested that it's a tragedy no it no. is inevitable that's the strange thing you've got is, this yeah. you've got these heroes on both sides yeah now if it was Arthurian mm. or if it was a romance story yes their battle would be a tragedy the yeah. battle of good people some of whom must die it's not that either no no there is no suggestion that the battle won't happen yes they meet there's going to be a battle exactly right the yeah. beginning. and it, it, it's yeah. a very almost a ritual thing yeah and ev even Bresh going to his father's people he goes to his father's people he's kind of looking to garner military support the text sort of mm. indicates that to us that Bresh wanted that extra seven years grace so mm. that he could muster a force and, and come back but he doesn't get that and, he and when he reaches his father's people they're, they're already preparing for battle mm. and yet there doesn't seem to be any particular grievance between them no no uh, there's land to share yeah. you know it they've is made just, an alliance they've made an yeah yeah they, it is strange if you look at it in that way mm. it's not a modern story no no uh, they're, they're, it's it's not learning off your causes for the first world war kind of time you know it's it's very much more just that again when you hear the story if you hear Fovra and the Danon, you know they're going to fight yeah, 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 and yet they're not nasty evil monsters. No, no. So you can see why it became so, but they're not yeah. not at this point. No, not in our text. Yesarian. What? That's the name I couldn't remember. Oh yeah, what? Catch twenty two. Yes, Catch twenty two. One of the great anti heroes, modern literature. Okay, modern literature. Yeah. Look, this has been kind of a bit. I'm getting a bit confused. Now. Yeah. 
because we've been talking about a series of I'll forget all the little themes that have been mm. flying overhead and disappearing under under sort of bushes near the holes. <laughs> but there there are the main themes that seem to hang around with us. Yeah. We pat now and again. Are <laughs> uh, well, the mother, father, son Yeah, those those family relationships. Mother, so yeah, close family relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which seem to be an important theme. Oh I think so, yeah. Yeah. And then pity you no know, mother daughter relationships. It so is, but you know you expect? that's patriarchy. <laughs> So um, then you get, uh, oh, then we have this nature and culture. Yeah, which is... Which I think is really important. I think it is, and I think it's one that hasn't really been explored before. Yeah, yeah which seems to be very, very much at the heart of Moitura. Oh, yeah, yeah. And maybe there we ought to go back to the why I chose the well and the cairn for yeah. purpose. Yeah. This this water and dry land yeah, again, as a theme. Yeah, this, this does come into it. Um, again, we've talked about that sort of shift from the Deidovnan, that sense of the, the depths of the earth to the depths mm. of the sea and that, you know, the day once they've become the Tuatadan and the people of craft, they come over the sea and take the land and, you know, that kind of shifting mm. from land to but sea. there's something about the Dagda, you know, this yeah. strong significance of he's a, a, an earth shaper, an he earth is. maker yeah. and it's one of his strongest points seem to be the significance of the separation of water from dry land. Yeah, It's there in his name. It is, it? it is. There's um, that part of his name where he's Athgen Betha or Athgen Metha Brigtera. Now most people or most of the references I've seen look at the Athgen Metha and they say regeneration of the world. Great. But if you put it with Athgen Metha Brigtera, if you mm. take that as one, then the Brigtera is dry land and so, so he's the regeneration of, of the, the world, world of dry, dry land. land that would make him the land maker exactly the island rising out of the water yeah yeah which makes him kind of primal it does rather and then he's also Abba Olathba he's the refuser of the great flood so there is this <laughs> yeah there's this images <laughs> of ho holding back the tide or the yeah. sea or even you know reclaiming land from bog or you know there is there's that sense that you have to on a small island you know you're you kind need of every bit of land yeah and you're kind of constantly under threat from now, the sea and, the thought, water. and this is just a speculative yeah. wild thought remember we were talking of Shinnon right back at the beginning right back at the beginning yeah. and we talked that there's some feeling there's some feeling right at the lowest strata of mm. the Shinnon story mm. of the, the the great wave that came and rose up over the land yeah yeah and changed the land completely yeah yeah and in fact that would have been we're talking about the possibility of the end of the the last ice age yes, the, yeah. the, the, the time Coming when there were great tidal waves yeah. and yeah and stories can last that long yeah uh, yeah know, well that's the story of the aboriginal the australian indigenous yeah. story with a lake that uh, was talked about in a, uh, constantly told in the story mm. of this particular people but the lake hadn't been there for 35,000 years yeah. there's been no sign of it for yeah. that length of time it's yeah. only found geologically yeah. this is just totally speculative yeah but it shows you how long a story can persist especially when it's that deeply primal you know that somehow people have remembered that there was a time when land disappeared under the sea yeah. you know there's the, the same with there's the same with all the stories of atlantis and the flood yeah the flood that, story, the flood story yeah. is seems to be certainly pan-european very not, very wide right across the world yeah very widely but spread. the dagda in essence the dagda is protecting the land from the sea itself. yeah yeah or even reclaiming it or possibly def it's either defending Which or reclaiming or making really it puts him as 
why he's there yeah. to save the land from the from people the sea. Underway. Exactly. And so that's why you get that sense of, you know, the Dadanan as the people of Ireland, the people of the land, trying to hold back yeah, or, or, or replace the, yeah. the people from underway. So we shouldn't really talk about the Fovera as the Dodogman as being the people of the land, but the people of the world. Yes. It, it, you know, of the yeah. depths of the world. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still a little bit concerned. You know, yeah. there's still things I'm not quite sure of on that one. Yeah. But... Well, again, we're not going to get a nice, neat little diagram out yeah. of this. You know, the, no, we're certainly not. And and that's that's why I think it's time for post structuralism in this particular mm. field of study because post structuralism is about play and about shifting of meaning and things always and it does back shift. and forth. I started with an image of a, of a lake. Yes. And the ripples on the lake. Yeah. And every time, depending on the weather, every yeah. time you look into that pool, mm. you're going to see a slightly different world. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's absolutely true. Yeah, and and hence that the the well and the cairn, I think, is a central image. You know, if you can visualise it, I mean, I kind of visualise, if you like, the landing cross-section. You've got the, the well, or the Loch Liva, where you've got this depression in the earth that's filled with water, and it's contained, and it, it gives health, and it gives life. And when you, you bring the herbs of the land into it, yeah. you have another sort of balance. Exactly. But then the Fuvra, the undersea, actually dry this up in this mm -hmm. instance. Yet, but if you, if you imagine the physical image where the well is a depression going like a curve going down into the earth but the cairn is a curve that rises up okay. over the earth so they are literal mirror images and hence primal oct eggs at the moment <laughs> octreal and octreal you know it is a bit primal egg time well, yes you know this is the primal egg shape yeah. the rise in the earth which is the uh, the womb of the earth and the which... origin of the pyramid shape well, in, just in, in the egyptian that, yeah not or anywhere <laughs> but nevertheless you've also yeah. got the interesting enough the the dagda's promise at the first muster the yeah. secret time yeah, the Amroon. Uh, he offers the lowering of hills and the swallowing of waters. Yeah. Now that's an odd one because there he is actually able to create disorder in the land. Mm, mm. And it's like the Dadanan here are deliberately creating chaos that this yeah. time will come. Yeah. They and the Fovera yeah. both enter into a period when the natural order is destroyed. It's totally disrupted, yeah, exactly. So and it's not as simple as the Dadanan being the forces of order or yeah. culture and I mean, the Fubra being chaos. They kingship, yeah. they accept the civility. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, underneath, secretly, the Dagda offers to destroy the land and hide the waters. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, it's it's... You could say either water's drying up, but that's unlikely to happen in this country, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, so it's it, it's more a sense of uh, when there's been heavy rain and a drain overflows into a well, and that means that, you know, the water's not safe, it's not clean anymore. So, you know, there there is this sense that, you know, it could be floods and landslides and, yeah, and mud. To a storyteller, it sort of makes sense. You've got to have this big sense of, uh, a, a, of a threat. Yeah, there's yeah. There's got to oh, be... Of course. You know, the, the, there's got to be a sense of jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. So I think when we look at Moitura, it's not just a heroic epic. Yeah. It's also mythic. Oh, yeah. But in the proper sense of the mm, word, mm. not as as a timeless thing. Yes. A timeless story. Sort of like you might find in oh, Isis and Osiris, or, or maybe perhaps more aptly, the Titans in Greek mythology. Yeah. That early time when the world is made and mm. unmade and remade again. Yeah, yeah. It's telling the story of that constant need for maintenance of natural balance. Yeah. The inevitably, inevitability of imbalance. Yeah. But I suppose equally inevitable restoration of balance yeah. if nature and culture work together. Exactly, yeah. Kind of 
really. It is. I suppose order just can't happen on its own. It, it, every so often, the world needs to be tidied up. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like a cupboard. You know, if you've got a, got a cupboard and you never you throw everything into the cupboard, yeah. every so often you have to open it, open the door, tidy the cupboard. When you do, everything falls out. Yes. And then you've got to do the real job. Yeah, you have to throw everything out before <laughs> you can put it back in. So I have a whole room in my house like this that. This is a mythic cupboard tidying story. <laughs> Days rather, um, but yeah, I mean that that sense of of you know disordering, reordering, and so on. It it makes sense of the that last part of the the prose, if you like, where you've got these again two negotiations. You've got Loch who's negotiating with Log, and that's a sort of a positive one. Then you've got Bresh who's also negotiating, and they, these are they're contrasted. They're both triple that you know the the solution is triple locus off, offers three mm-hmm. wishes if you like and bresh offers the three mart solution um but they are still very different loch does it properly he properly enumerates and orders and so he he gets to do all that naming and the numbering and it's the naming yeah is part of the restoration of balance exactly exactly this and is very very primitive yeah. the and idea that you name oh yeah i mean this is order. this is the whole sort of the so-called adamic task you mm-hmm. know where you name all the animals and all the rest but it is it's the original kind of the first step of ordering is naming you know there's no doubt about that at all um but also then that means that Locke gets to actually speak the, the treaty the, the decree of fastening. It really is a recreation of the world, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, and and of society, kind of from scratch, together, yeah, working together. Yeah. Whereas Bresh, whose negotiations are different, as we've said before, he he, what he offers, although it might seem kind of shiny and like you know a big prize, it's still not order. You know, he's still when he's offering the four harvests and the cows always in milk. It's still not order. He has to be led into no, order. That's, that's yeah. You know that he 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 still can't get it right. He has to be kind of cajoled and gently led, and it's just about how to do things right rather than doing things too much. Oh, that beautiful word. That he's core, to, yeah. Core, that rightness. I think of as smart. Exactly. The natural yeah. justice, natural exactly. order yeah. of, uh, of the human world and yeah. the natural world working in Yeah, harmony. exactly. Yeah, that you're not yeah. um, you're not over-enforcing culture on the natural yeah. world. Or vice versa. Exactly, yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, that if you do this, then maybe the natural world won't destroy you. Yeah, yeah. So to make it not quite so modern yes you know, yeah yeah sense. there is a sense of superstition yes. that, that of course if you obey the natural order yeah. the natural order will support you yeah but the morrigan does finish off by reminding us that you know the time of oh, it's you gonna, know gonna, there's gonna always going to be an again. unexpected because you know it's not eschatological no it's cyclical exactly so i suppose you were going to say besides a sort of cosmic tidy cupboard, cupboard tidy <laughs> i hope i will never look at a cupboard again I, next time <laughs> i have to tidy a cupboard i will go this is a cosmic task exactly this is <laughs> maybe i do it properly yeah but it's not a story of good and evil no it's yes it's order and chaos mm. but it's more a, a sort of and also conscious and unconscious there is always you know a, if, if you wanted to do a, a you know jungian psychoanalytic um oh, which i have telling of the story because i will <laughs> yeah but you know it's it's still relevant you know yeah. it's it's you, there's no point in dismissing these approaches you know and and in those terms the sea is very much you know the oh. un, the the id the unconscious That's from the id so yeah we've got a forbidden planet now <laughs> All the way through this, I've been arguing the storyteller's view. Because in the end, what gets remembered Mm. 
is the satisfying and the exciting yeah. story. So therefore, you're bound to have these repeating elements mm. and everybody likes these interest, interesting and contradictory characters. Yeah. And it is, above all, a story worth the telling. It is. But more than that, you know, there, there has been some uh, writing about this saga that it's been described as a patchwork, you know, or a kind of a, a clumsy collection from different sources and that there tends to be this uh, implication that it's not terribly well crafted and I would completely disagree with that and particularly once you kind of understand that the the, the mirroring and the duplication is part of what the story is actually it's about. Essential. It is central and that's why you know you get a sort of a, a going back and forth in time, if yeah, you like. I mean, very few novels these days start at the beginning and just go in a straight line to the end. You know, that's just your David Copperfield and people don't really write that kind of story anymore. Yeah. You know, it, maybe it gets a bit dull. And from storytelling point of view, yeah. it could be episodes could be told from it. In exactly. Advance. But the, the, the themes are inherent, aren't yeah. they? The yeah. themes are absolutely central to both the telling yeah. and the the meaning and of the story exactly it's it's both its structure and yeah. its substance it's both of those things reinforcing yeah. each other and, and yet, making what is actually a, a very good piece of literature thank you very much I still say that you know I still think of my original image of looking into a lake mm. that each time the wind of time or whatever you want to call it ripples mm. the water it changes exactly and all good stories do that absolutely <laughs> yeah of course they do now next time when uh, we when you next hear our voices we're going to take a little stroll through the actual physical landscape of moiture itself now you can go and stroll if you like we're going to be sitting in the warm while we do it but we are going to be looking we've at done it in the cold as exactly well. <laughs> so we're going to go and have a little chat through the stories as they are told by the land itself by the landscape so stories in the landscape that's next time so we hope this hasn't been too complicated <laughs> we'll try and give you a nice bullet point list to refer to <laughs> we've tried to be as logical as we can but it's when you're wandering through a story mm. the uh, you find some interesting ripples especially in the hedges <laughs> that's a mixed metaphor to finish with <laughs> ripples in the hedges cupboards cosmic cupboards yeah. ripples in the hedges look as enough <laughs> thank you for listening to Ogilith Nanagus conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody for more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>